Hi, I'm Ariel. And I'm Twinning. And you're listening to Breaking Through the Podcast. I was speaking to a friend one day and I was telling her how I couldn't wait for my career to start. And she laughed at me and she said, your career's already started. You're just missing all of it because you're so focused on this one end goal that you can't see or celebrate the things that are happening along the way. It was the most profound moment for me I'd had in my life yet. It wasn't just about my career. I was just missing all of my moments. So in between Ariel having this profound moment, I was having a nervous breakdown. (laughs) Not literally, but I was was in a pretty dark place. Like all of us, 2020 was a real bitch, to put it politely. And in this time, I had kind of a revelation if you will that I had spent the last three years the making of this album not really enjoying it um, because I was constantly focused on the end goal and I wasn't I wasn't appreciating all the small wins I always wanted more and I wasn't recognizing where I was so like girls do me and Ariel had a chat on the phone I was probably crying definitely crying And she told me about this profound moment and had this brilliant idea. I wanted to start a podcast with Twinny so that we could bring stories to you that would inspire you to celebrate your journey along the way. With each episode, we'll walk you through our guests' career from the very beginning all the way up to their big breakthrough moments. We know so many inspiring people and we wanted this podcast to inspire our listeners to enjoy their whole journey and not just their biggest moments. And the best part is it's never too late to start celebrating those smaller wins. Here to do that with us today is one of my absolute favorite artists and musicians. I'm so lucky to call him one of my dearest friends. He's toured all over the world, performed on national television, played huge festivals, had a top 10 on the Billboard Alternative charts, and he's only just getting started. Without further ado, please welcome Morgan. I know your story. I know that Twinny knows parts of your story. Yeah, I've done my research. I've been stalking you. Okay. (laughs) We actually met um, in Nashville. Right, in Nashville. But I think it was like, I think if if this is the place we're starting, I think it was like right after my dad had passed. So like, I'm not even sure. I think I probably had like a fortress on like uh, in, uh, in front of me because I was like, yes, I may be meeting a person, but I was just like, had just come from one of the hardest moments of my life, you know? So... This I feel like this is a new meeting and I've obviously heard so much about you through Ariel and I'm excited to be here. Honestly, I just thought you were the coolest person ever. Um, definitely way more cooler than me. <laughs> I'm so honored. Inside, I was probably panicking. Probably. Always. Aren't we all? Like, isn't that the normal thing where like when you're meeting someone for the first time and we always see something amazing about that person. And then all of a sudden, internally, we're like, okay. 
Yeah, and you write you write like an entire story in your head about what their life must be, whatever, and it must be so much easier than yours. And really, like we're all just like going through something. I I had this. I you asked me about my story, and I'm not even really sure where to begin. But one of the things that I thought of today, for some reason, and I thought that maybe it popped into my head for a reason to share this is that I remember when I moved to New York um, in 2008 and I moved because I had been cast in the show Spring Awakening on Broadway and I was living in Chicago and I got, I went to an open call and it was many auditions later and a total journey. But like, then I ended up in New York by myself with a Broadway show and I was like, okay, I'm, um, I guess I'm living in New York now. I guess I'm, I guess I'm um, doing theater. Like all of these things that I, you know, I grew up always singing and all that stuff. And, and getting this Broadway show was like literally um, so random, so random. I, you know, my friends went to this open call. I had gone to camp with a guy that was in the show. It was so I just followed impulse after impulse. And then it was like, I remember I was in a Starbucks one day and I got a call and they were like, so we're not going to put you, I thought I was going for the tour. They're like, we're not going to, you're not going to get the tour. And I was like, okay. And they're like, but do you want to do it on Broadway? And I was like, okay. And I, I like, I fell out of, I mean, I would, I was literally in a Starbucks. I was like, hold on. I, let me walk outside for a second. Like, who says what? no to that? Like, would, would anyone in their right mind be like, you know what? I'm going to pass on Broadway. Well, you know me. And so I was like, well, I don't know. I'm still in school. And I feel <laughs> like I have, a, like, I don't know. Like, what will, will it be okay? I don't know what I'm doing. I could totally relate to that feeling because I, I think I was 19 when I got my first job in the West End. So really similar to you, really similar start. How old were you when you first got the job? I'm, I was 20. I was maybe 20 or 21. I, th- I was a junior. I got the call when I was a junior in college. So I was probably 21. I mean, it's like I was definitely drinking by that time. I just, so I think I was definitely 21. <laughs> <laughs> but I have a question for you because I, if I remember the story correctly, it was kind of like a big risky moment for you because wasn't there something um like during college where you had a like lack of support I can't remember there wasn't there well there was there was this moment I auditioned for a show in Chicago my sophomore year and I got it but I would have had to like leave school to do it and I ended up turning it down and the director of the musical theater program was like you're never gonna work again and when you hear that you're like you're right I'll never work again. Um, and so then, you know, fast forward and a year later, I I didn't work again in Chicago. I worked, I did Broadway. And, but my concern at that moment um, was that I had told my parents that I was going to get a business degree. And so I didn't, I, I never finished like I fi- I was able to finish my theater degree. They kind of gave me um they gave me an internship credit um which was Broadway and 
let me like finish school. But then a year, I ended up going back. This is so random, but I ended up going back. So I left school a year early, but school let me like, they were like, you will graduate next year with your class. So I like went to New York, was on Broadway, did it for like a year. The show ended up closing, but I'm now like living in New York and that's a whole nother journey. Uh, but my parents really wanted me to go back and walk with my class. So I go back, so I fly back from New York and I go to graduation and my parents end up, their flight gets delayed. So I made it to my graduation because they wanted to watch me walk and they never made it. But then they were like, let me see your diploma. And I, they like opened it and they're like, where's the business degree? And I was like, yeah, I didn't. I didn't get it. I didn't finish it. I, it didn't happen. And um, that is a true story that I have not said out loud. But I think they're fine. I think they're fine with it. If at they this are, point. they really can't say much anything anyway because you've done so well since then. So even if they wanted you to have a business degree, it all worked out. I love that. Before we became friends, I saw one of your first shows in New York City as an artist, as like Morgan the artist. It was before Morgan with an X. It was at Rockwood mm-hmm. Music Hall. And Anna Krantz opened for you. Yeah. And I remember being at that show and being like, who is this? Like, who is this person with this big voice? And then I didn't see you until like, maybe, I don't know, two years later at Lucy Silvis's show somewhere in downtown New York City. The music industry is so small. Obviously, you guys know each other. I know Anna. We all know Lucy. It's um, it's crazy how small the world actually gets, especially in music. So was Anna living in New York at that point? Yeah. yeah, I think she was. Yeah, I think I always looked at like that group of people. I always felt like I was a freshman and they were juniors. You know, like I always just was like, like they know what they're doing. And I, I mean, and, and now the mirror, I mean, the mirror shattered the curtains down and I realized no one knows, which is maybe the greatest, you know, the greatest uh, realization is that no one knows and we're all just figuring it out. But at the time I was like, yeah, Anna, will you do a show with me? Cause I know she had done shows and I, I mean, honestly, at that time I was, I had a day job. I was working in real estate. You know, I was like, uh, uh, I think I was maybe, I don't think I was teaching at that point. When I moved to LA, I was teaching. You know, that's definitely something that I keep forgetting about when I'm when I'm super hard on myself about where I'm going and what I'm doing and what comes next. It's like, you do realize that like you have had day jobs as a teacher, as a real estate agent, like you have, you know, this is not like it just fell out of thin air and of course I have huge dreams, but it's like, sometimes I forget that like, I have literally gone through such a journey just to like, get here. You know, the story that popped in my head today, um, that I feel like is relevant to like what you're talking about, about breaking through is that I remember, you know, I moved to New York with a Broadway show. So that's a big deal for a lot of people for me, I realized shortly after the show, like how much music was really like the thing that I loved. The thing that I loved about the show that I did was that every night the music 
made me feel alive. It helped that the story was also this, like, I don't know if you're familiar, if your listeners are, but it's like the the story of, of sexual awakening and self-awakening and all of that stuff was like, I was deeply connected to it, but mostly, you know, it was a Duncan Sheik score. It was like this, the music I'll never forget was uh, just the thing that I was like, I want to get into music, but it was very hard to survive in New York and live and be an actor, quote unquote. And I remember one day I was like looking for, trying to look for a place to live. And my mom was in Nashville on Craigslist, like looking up things and she would like send me a listing and I'd like go see it. And like 50 million people were also trying to see it. Cause like trying to find a cheap apartment in New York is like, everyone's looking for it, you know? And I remember it was raining and I was on the phone with my mom and she's like trying to send me listings and I'm standing like by Columbus Circle. I'll never forget it. And I just am like sobbing, you know, because I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's hard, blah, blah, blah. And I think I thought of that story today because I was like, the difference between then and now is that it's hard still, but I, but I, but I get it, you know, like that's, Back then, I, I kind of threw up my hands and I was like, I quit. Um, you know, I quit. That's another thing I wanted to bring up is that, like, I have quit music and performing so many times. There was this meme that was like, if you work in the industry and you don't think about quitting, do you even work in the music industry? Totally. And, you know, it's like, the difference is I get that it's hard. Now, I get that it's hard. And, and so I, but I keep going, you know, like back then it crushed me. And now, now I just wreck, now it crushes me, but I'm like, cool. Tomorrow is a new day. Try again. Well, yeah, but doesn't that come from like, I think that that it will be better tomorrow comes from the being in the industry long enough to know that there is always something around the corner that's going to make it worth it. Totally. Because you've had these moments now that have made it so worth the moments in the rain when you're crying and you're like, I hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. When you were doing real estate and when you had your day jobs, when when was the moment you were able to quit? Like what was that breakthrough moment? Well, there was there was a couple moments. Like one of them was that I ended up showing my apartment I showing an apartment to a guy who had won the Grammy for mastering Flight of the Concords oh, record. Wow. And, you know, I'm like showing him an apartment and then I just like got up the courage to be like, yeah, I make music, <laughs> you know? And he was like, let me listen. And he did. And he was like, this is cool. This is good. And he ended up like mastering um, the first couple songs that I had like written and recorded, you know, which will never see the light of day ever again. But they led me somewhere, you know what I mean? And it, it was definitely one of those moments that was like, uh, this is a dream of mine. And then, you know, here's this person and I'm showing him an apartment, but I'm like, I make music. You know, I had a story. I think I told, I don't, I'm not even sure if I told you this, Ariel, but um, two days ago, I was at a friend's birthday party outside, everyone wearing masks, super safe. And this person, do you know who Tamira Gray is? Do you remember that name? She was she was American Idol season one. Oh my god, I do and, remember. Yes. Okay, so I think I get a free pass on this one because I'm English. Yes, you do. <laughs> the thing is, is that the American Idol 
not to date myself, but the original American Idol season one, especially like Kelly Clarkson, obviously um, that movie from Justin to Kelly, where they were like, that's like, honestly, I think it's like gay canon at this point, that film, but that's a whole nother story. But season one, to my regret, she came out and she did a performance of a song called A House Is Not A Home. That song is, I then found the version that Luther Vandross did. Luther Vandross is a huge inspiration to me. Luther is how I then discovered Stevie Wonder, which was like another big breakthrough. And if you imagine I'm like a kid in Nashville, Tennessee, which is a very no offense, one note town, especially back then, you know, and I'm, and I discovered this voice through this person to my regret. And I'm at this birthday party two days ago and Tamira is a friend of my friend Cassandra because they did a show together. So like she's at this party and, you know, she's, she is still an incredible artist, but she's like a wife and a mother and has had, I'm sure such a journey since this moment of American Idol season one, you know, but I, I, I don't know. There was just something so magical about like getting to tell her how much her performance on this show that she probably feels super conflicted about. Actually, I don't want to put that in her thing, but I could tell. But when I told her how much that meant to me and how much it changed my life because it did, I don't know. That was just, it was so special and and I honestly felt like it was a gift to me to be able to tell her how much this random moment changed and shaped my life, you know? I think that's really interesting and so relevant to so many people in, in all industries, actually, because we always have them moments where, you know, we are inspired by different people. And they have a massive impact on our journey. I know you mentioned about, um, you know, your Broadway breakthrough moment. Had that not have happened, you probably wouldn't have been in New York and you probably wouldn't have met that person that then opened the door to a different opportunity. This is the thing that I find so beautiful about life. You shared that moment and although the, all three of us are artists, we, we don't know what impact we're having on somebody else. We don't know what living rooms we are getting played in. Just like Billy Joel, we'll never know how obsessed I am with him. Totally obsessed. You know, he might, he might know, like he might learn, you might meet him is oh, the thing God. that, <laughs> the thing that I realized, I, it feels almost like, you could draw a line between the Tamira Gray performance on American Idol and me in Nashville and me today, because like all these things happened after that moment. And, and yeah, you don't know where your song, I mean, I just had a friend get married and they used my song, Me Without You as their wedding dance. And it's like, but I knew that was going to happen because they told me they are friends of mine. So I knew they were getting married. And then they sent me the video of it actually happened. And I knew all of those things. And I clicked play knowing what I was about to see. And I still broke down in tears because it was like, oh, my God. I mean, that actually touched someone enough to to use the song in their wedding. You know, you you can't like you don't get to force create those moments. And sometimes, as we know, you know, Van Gogh being an artist who never saw his art 
take off in his life. Like sometimes it's, it's really about just laying these seeds that, I mean, I, I hope I see, you know, bloom in my life, but I also will forget and Ariel will like remind me, I'll be like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And she'd be like, Morgan, you were dropped by your label the day that Billie Eilish tweeted about you. That she tweeted specifically, Billie Eilish tweeted that you inspired one of her songs on her record. I mean, think about that for a second. Like, I I think about that all the time and it gives me chills because to be somebody that inspired something so big, and I don't know what was bigger in 2019 than that moment for Billy when that when that record really blew up. And the fact that behind it, one of the songs was inspired by one of your songs. I mean, I get chills when I think about it. I get chills because I think it's like a, a perfect nugget of how life works. Getting dropped by my label being like what I thought was the most devastating thing, but then being like sort of lifted up by this artist that I respect and being like, oh, my art, my art moved somebody. You know what I mean? Like that's really big to me. And then now I get to discover like what the next chapter of my life is. And looking back, I know I've had many chapters, so I'm sure I'm going to have many chapters to come, you know? I wonder, not to quote myself, but I wonder like what is next, literally, obviously, you know, not just because I have a song called Wonder. Totally. But before we go to the now, you were in New York. What prompted you to move to LA? I feel like I remember that I discovered yoga when I was living in New York, obviously. And That gave me like four extra months of surviving New York, you know, because it was like I would have just sort of internally collapsed. And then I like discovered like you can like pause. That feels crazy. And but then I was out in L.A. on a random trip and it was like, oh, I remember it was a Passover Seder. Of course it was. And I I got high and was singing Stevie Wonder. Again, it's all connected to Tamara Gray. And I was singing Stevie Wonder. And this guy was like, oh my God, you're amazing. Like, you should come to the studio. Like, um, we need somebody to record this song. I was like, okay. So the next day I go to the studio and it's an Ari Levine track, which he did all the Bruno Mars stuff. Wow. Uh, This guy, Jason Evigan, who is at the time was not as big as he is now and now super big. Um, and it wasn't already written. It was literally a writing session, which I just didn't know what that was. It was literally like, it was like they had a verse and a beat, you know, and they needed like lyrics, melody and someone to sing it, you know? And I was like, okay. You know? And so I like wrote, recorded, had that experience. And then I, I went back to New York with my day job. And I think I had done, I was doing a play at the time and I was like, this isn't, what I want to do. And, and when I was in New York, I, you know, I think within that week I wrote and recorded like seven songs, you know, you're all like, you're all in music. So you're like, well, duh, that's just normal. But at the time I didn't know, I didn't, I hadn't discovered co-writing. I didn't know that you could collaborate in that way. And so I was like, well, why would I stay in New York when I can 
go to LA and just like create and not be Morgan who was on Broadway trying to make music, but just be like Morgan, who's a human trying to express himself, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So honestly, honestly, somebody asked me because I worked in real estate, they were like, I'm moving to New York. Do you know anyone looking for a sublet? And I was like, well, do you have furniture? And they were like, no. And I was like, hmm, okay, how about this much to buy everything I own and you can take my apartment. That's amazing. I don't have to find you a place. And he was like, okay. And I was like, cool. And I packed two suitcases. And of course, I only remember the day because my mother sent me a Facebook memory, but it was the 28th of August, nine years ago, where I had a one-way ticket to El- to Vegas, where my brother was living. And I packed two suitcases, met my brother, We flew to London because he was going there for work and he took me and we like had this like brother moment, which was like so beautiful. And it was like a one way ticket. And I never went back to New York. That's amazing. That's wild. Um, You know, you mentioned about the songwriting. Um, How did it feel adjusting from writing by yourself to co-writing? Because that is a whole new ball game, and actually, it surprises me really that you hadn't done it before. Because Nashville is is a very collaborative town. It's all about music. You know, songwriting is kind of the backbone of that city. And um, did it shock you? You know that kind of way of working, because it certainly shocked me when I first came into town. Yeah, I mean. You know, I grew up in Nashville, but I had my parents weren't in the industry, which was always like a I was always like. Not mad about, but I, you know, some of my friends, like their dads were just like these big, important people, you know, and I was always singing. But I was like, they were not trying to they were trying to help their, you know, son or daughter, you know. And so I didn't know what the Nashville music scene like by the time. I think maybe around that time, you know, I was in New York and it was either moved to Nashville or moved to L.A. But I had gone down to Nashville and like, honestly, being a gay man doing any kind of music definitely wasn't doing country. Although, you know, I thought like, oh, well, maybe I'm doing country, you know, like, I don't even know. But like, right. whatever <laughs> it was, they looked at me and they were just like, we can't mm-mm, no, and just no, you know, so. L.A. was just a, a, a blank slate, you know, but I think I, I took to collaborating really well because I'm a Pisces and I love talking about my feelings and I'm walking into a room and people are like, how are you feeling? And I'm like, I'm feeling everything, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> um, talk about breakthroughs. I had plenty of breakdowns in, in that city. I think that's why I like Nashville so much, because. It's much smaller, you know, everybody knows your business. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of uh, back home. I guess that's why I like it, actually, because it's familiar to me. I think cities have personalities and LA just seemed like a big vacuum and I, I couldn't find anybody there. Like everyone was so far away. It's very spread out. It doesn't seem to be much community, but I guess the people that live there and invest a lot of time there think differently. I just, I couldn't connect with 
that city, even though I absolutely adore the weather. Was there any, um, what what came the personal breakthrough moment for you when you were like, yes, I want to live here. This is my place. I found my people. Or equally, was there ever any some breakdown moments where you were like, I want to leave. I want to go back to New York. I mean, I think I have that maybe every day especially during quarantine. <laughs> and then I beg him to stay. I'm just like, please, please don't leave LA. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not leaving, but you know, my, uh, I don't know. I've always kind of felt like a, an outsider in terms of like, even the Nashville community and the LA community. Um, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't quick for me, but I think I also realized something about Nashville community is that I I tried to like get them to like accept me like me and like take me in and that didn't work you know and so I ended up just sort of forging my own community and that sort of ends up creating community you know in LA LA is already a very dislocated town you know what I mean like it's like actually when when they created LA like it was a bunch of different municipalities and then they they just drew a big circle around a bunch of places and they're like here's LA and that's why downtown is not even central you know right and oh it's so annoying everywhere takes at least 45 minutes to get to yeah you're like I have a session in Santa Monica and then I have a meeting in Burbank not even not this never don't you know but from a creativity standpoint it actually uh it actually helped my creativity because New York was like, you're, I lived in Midtown for a minute and people were like, call me like, I'm outside your apartment. And I'm like, oh shit. Okay, fine. I'm, I'll go out, you know, <laughs> but I, no offense, but I lived in Culver city for a minute. And I don't know if that matters to anyone except for Ariel, but a lot of people <laughs> didn't, a lot of people didn't want to go all the way out there. So what ended up happening is that I ended up working harder because I wasn't as distracted, you know. Totally. I When I lived in Culver City, I was, you know, this was like the making of my first album. A lot of it was me in Culver City driving to Burbank, which only makes sense if you know L.A. But And that's an insane it's a crazy amount drive. of driving. But it was like, I listened to my demos. I was like, you know, like, I mentioned how I like quit music. I moved to L.A. wanting to do music. It didn't, you know, it didn't happen overnight no one I was like I'm gonna move to LA and it's gonna be great and that's not what happened but in that time of like quote-unquote giving up it was just like well what do you want to do I want to make music I want to just see what happens and being in Culver City kind of landlocked and driving to Burbank every day and working in the studio it was um I don't know it was probably how it actually happened you know can you just walk me through what were the breakthrough moments leading up to you getting signed? Like, what were the small wins that happened that led to that, you know, big, massive moment? And from when you moved to LA, if you could do like years or months or however long it was until you had that like first momentum moment before the signing. Yeah. I mean, I think... uh I. I will always remember the timing because my dad passed in September of 2015 and coming up on the five year on Tuesday. And I signed the record deal April of 2015. 
and I think I signed, I did sign it on my mother's birthday. I was offered the contract on my birthday, March 5th, 2015. And that wasn't planned. It's just like we had been negotiating it. And then it was like sent in my inbox. It was a Saturday. So it's not even like a business day, but it was like the contract was actually finalized and sent on my birthday. And then rewinding, it was December of 2014. And no, 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 November of 2014. So before the holidays, I had a song, Love You With The Lights On. And the producer of that song, Ryan Marone, who at that point had not gone to a gym in a very long time, decided he wanted to start working out. So he did. And he ended up running into this guy who he hadn't seen in a while, who is an A&R at Disney Hollywood Records. And asked Ryan, like, what are you working on? He's like, I'm working with this guy, Morgan. Uh, You should come check it out. And he's like, okay. So the guy came to the studio and I'll, I'll never forget, like, you know, the studio was like the size of a closet. It was super small. You could fit three people in there if you were all touching knees, you know, <laughs> and lights down. And we like listened to Love You With The Lights On. And it was just like, it was just such a mood. You know what I mean? It was such a like, oh, you know, you got to come in and like talk, which is like in music industry, we'll never talk to you again. You know what I mean? <laughs> And, but it was, it was very special. I remember that, you know, I had had so many like, let's build fams to know that like, you'll never hear from them again. But I do remember it feeling good. You know, I remember it feeling like, I love this song. I love this moment. And this is probably a good lesson for me even now. It's like, whether I hear from that person or not, I felt good about sharing that song in that moment. Yeah. Um, but it was, so December of that year, 2014 going into 2015, I like, you know, I answered Craigslist ads for like small jobs to get like $50. Like I was just like trying to string it together, you know? And I remember that, you know, around October, November of 2014, I was like, you know, doing interviews for the coffee shop that was like down the street from me, which is like, you know, as you know, from this interview, I've had many jobs. So I was like, fine, I'll just get a job because I decided I'm not going to like leave LA. And I ended up going to the final interview for a job at this coffee shop. And I walked back to my apartment because it was near my apartment. And I had a check from a DJ record that I had done. This was the first dance record that I did. And then I was like, I want to do more. And then I was on Tiesto's album. But that was a that was 2015. But it was like, this was the first one. And it was like, it was like my first royalty thing that was not a dollar, you know? And I was like, okay, I'm not quitting just yet. And New Year's of that year, going into 2015, my cousin was like, come out, come and visit me in Palm Springs. And I was like, I literally can't. I cannot afford gas to go visit you. He was like, just come. So I drove there and I'm, you know, I'm, but, and I'm sad, but I'm like, I have no idea what I'm going to do, but I had decided I'm not moving out of LA. And as I'm driving back from seeing him in Palm Springs, he like Venmo's me a hundred dollars and I cried, you know, because (laughs) it was just like, I knew how much that I knew how much I could make $100 work 
at that time, you know? Yeah. That was January. I ended up playing a show at Hotel Cafe in LA. And the it was just it was just like magical. It was packed. I'm not even sure if that's even how the music industry works at this moment, if people see live shows, but it was like the the buzz and the feedback was so great and it made its way back to Hollywood. And then Hollywood like got in touch with me and they brought me in for a meeting, actually. So that AR did remember the buzz was good. And then I went in for a meeting. And this is like such a old school music industry story, but I go there. They've obviously heard the music because they've emailed it to them, but they're like, let's play some music, like pump it up on the speakers. But the speakers were busted. So, <laughs> and you know, if the speaker, if the sound system isn't right, I'm not playing my song. You know what I mean? Because I'm not going to play a grainy ass demo yeah. over bad speakers. And, but they had a piano and I was like, oh, I just wrote this song. And so I sat down at the piano and I played this song that I had just written. And it was, it was again, one of those very special moments. Like you could feel the air in the room, you know, and they were that day. They were like, we're not really like looking, you know, for signing on the artist side. Like, you know, we're just sort of really looking at like the publishing side and I was like, okay, well, I'm still going to play this song. And I did. And they called me that afternoon and they offered me a record deal. It's amazing. Yay. Amazing. How, how was that moment? Were you just like, this is everything that I've ever dreamt of? You know, I, I did that meeting and then I went from there to a session. And so I was in a session when they called me with this news. But I kind of was like, that's exactly where I want to be. You know what I mean? Like, I want to be like, I want to be in the studio making more music when I'm called to say that I have a record deal to release the music that I've made. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I mean, I think there's like a balance between like celebrating, uh, celebrating moments and being like, I want to make, more music. That to me is the kind of celebration I want is to be like, I love that. And also I love what I'm making today, you know? Um, yeah. Did you have a moment after you signed where you didn't know what the next goal was? I only asked that because I remember when I signed my first deal, I had just been working towards that deal my whole life that once I signed it, I was like, oh shit. Okay. What now? Yeah. <laughs> what do I want now? I think that's a good point to bring up. When I was younger, I was I I trained in martial arts in Taekwondo. And I mean, I was honestly only doing it cuz my brother was doing it, you know? But that's a whole nother bag of emotions. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that I am trying to remember now cuz I have a lot of goals now um are is that in karate, they were like if you're going to break the board, you won't break the board by trying to break the board. You will break the board by punching the wall behind the board. So it's like, it's not just like this, it's the follow through that is actually what breaks the board. And I think like, I do you think actually that, break a board. Oh yeah. In karate, I was like, you know, I like punch boards, I like kick boards. I was like really into that. This is something I never knew about you yeah. and I'm loving, I'm loving this. Yeah. But the metaphor is that, 
you don't get anywhere by trying to break the board. You get somewhere by trying to punch what's beyond the board. And I think that's like, you can be so narrow focused because like, I, you know, I thought label, label, but I'm having such success on this current single beyond the label, you know? So it's like, uh, wow, I guess I need to reframe my, the way that I think about how this next chapter is going to look because, because I get to, you know, like, I mean, I have huge goals, but I also like, you know, sometimes you can be so narrow focused on things that you forget, you know, your timeline is way less interesting than the universe's timeline. You know what I mean? Or like that, like, you know, something that you may do, you know, how a podcast may, starting a podcast may not be exactly what you thought, but it it actually could put you in conversations that open up all sorts of doors. And really, truly, they're all connected. I used to think that having done theater, I mean, people told me I when I did theater, they're like, in theater, they're like, you're too pop for theater. And then they would tell me I'm too theater for pop, you know? And it's like, I mean, look at Lady Gaga, look at Ariana Grande, look at like Sam Smith, look at all these examples of like, look at Billie Eilish. Everything is, it's like theater and pop are like super connected. You know what I mean? I think that's what we grow up listening to, you know, whether you're a Disney kid or you go to the theater, like for British kids, I think as well, everyone goes, why why do people sing in an American accent? Firstly, no one ever wants me to sing in my accent. But secondly, we grow up. I love your accent. We grow up watching, like, every, everything is American. So, of course, we learn how to just sing like that. And I totally agree with, like, everything being connected. I mean, the first story that you told us about that lady and you got to tell her at a barbecue, it's just, like, you just never really know what's around the corner. And I think it's why we wanted to start this podcast is because we are so aware. I think like being in COVID time makes you reflect a lot. Obviously everyone has, but you just think like the best thing that we can do is be present in the moment and actually really celebrate it. And it's interesting for me to hear you go, you got the record deal and you're in a session. It's kind of like, we're always looking ahead because we're on to the next goal. And it's like, we don't ever want to get overly excited because I know when I first got my deal, I was like, oh, well, it's not really happened yet until it's like signed on the dotted line. And that is so much of our industry. It's like, it's not out until oh, it's yeah. out. It's um, it's picking them moments and going back and going, yeah, that, that was actually a pivotal point and that led me to that next step. And it's just, yeah. everything's connected. You're so right. You know, it's also about kind of demanding your right to celebrate in our industry because of that, because there's always going to be somebody telling you don't get too excited or even, I remember when I first moved to Nashville and I got a hold and a hold only exists in Nashville. That's not a thing in the songwriting industry outside of Nashville, but in Nashville, it means that an artist is interested enough that they want to take it off the market for a period of time for the listeners who don't know. By the way. Um, and I remember when I first got a hold, I was so excited. I cried. I was like, I can't believe it. And this girl was like, you know, holds me nothing. And it's like, sure, she was right. In the industry, it means nothing. But to a girl 
who moved to Nashville with one friend and knew nobody in the industry and fought my way into every writing room to have a big artist to put my song on hold, that is a big deal. It means that I'm writing the kind of music that will eventually be cut. And that moment was stolen from me because I immediately was like, oh, it means nothing. And I didn't celebrate it. I mean, I'm not sure when this is releasing, but I can tell this story. Like I was in a session with somebody and they got a Kesha cut and like that it was on it, actually on the album. And the producer that was in the room was like, yeah, but you probably won't make money from it unless it's a single. And I was just like, can you like let her have a moment? Do you know what I mean? Like, can you please? Like, I don't care if she doesn't make a fucking dollar, but like, can that, can we just celebrate that for a second, you know? I feel like a lot of us do that to ourselves because we are so frightened of it not happening. We don't get too excited, you know, because that's an even bigger letdown if we do. I, I realize it's hard because it's hard to get your hopes up. You know, it's hard. It's hard to have hope and then have it be shattered. But honestly, it's like, I'm trying to regain or or I'm trying to reconnect to that like kid part of me that like is excited about things because I don't know like like life is so hard sometimes I want to be excited you know even if I'm even if I'm let down it's like falling in love it's like you know if you have your heart broken you're like well I, I'm I'm scared but you still want to love you know I think that's my favorite quality about a person who's is somebody who's like had their heart broken so many times yet they still love so much you know still want to fall in love and still take chances yeah and I I think you know that's the reason we all do this job is because one second it can be filled with so much joy but it's a double-edged sword because you're in an industry that you know, repeatedly just keeps knocking you down. And I always say persistence beats resistance. And it is true, but it it takes so much gumption to keep powering through and keep knocking on those doors. And it is hard to have those moments where you can enjoy something because you're kind of frightened as a child that it's going to be ripped away from you. So you have to be really conscious of kind of celebrating that moment in the now, in the present, because tomorrow it'll be gone and you'll look back and you'll be like, oh, should I celebrate that? So you really need to allow yourself those moments because that's what ultimately life is about, isn't it? Is just enjoying the moment. Yeah. And it sounds so like corny but it's true that's what i'm trying to do in this covid times i'm just like you know can i just enjoy a moment you know can i just lay with my dog and have that be my day cool yes you can i think you know that's like a perfect moment to kind of look back on your song home because that song has so many celebration points but also two very different lives yeah that one has so many moments i was just with someone last night who like didn't know, like that song was released in 2016 and the version with Walk the Moon came out in 2018 and it went top 10 in 2019. You Wild. know, so I think I wrote it in 2000. I wrote it before my dad passed because I remember that I I, I either wrote it in the end of 2014 or the beginning of 2015, but I recorded the choir in July of 2015 because I was home in Nashville and that was before he passed. And 
The label didn't want me to do it, but I wanted to, so I did it anyways. But the song came out in 2016 without a music video. And the music video didn't come out for another year, you know? I was just talking about this today, like the timeline that you have for something. Well, again, it's like far less interesting than what the universe has in store. And you want as an artist, you like, I want it all to be like song, video, aesthetic, everything. And I, you know, strive to make sure that my aesthetic is strong with everything that I do. But sometimes it's about the journey of it. And I think it was honestly brilliant that the video came a year after the song, because then when the video came, it was like the song was brand new. When did HBO pick up Home? And was that the first placement? No, the first placement was actually Showtime. And then I think it was, and then I think it was USA. And then HBO. And, and yeah, I, and it's, that's crazy. You know, it's crazy. And I, it was all happening so like quickly. I wasn't, I wasn't even fully like, aware of just how big of a deal that was. And also at that time that HBO picked up home, I went into HBO's office and played them music and played them a song that had not been released yet. And that was Carry the Weight. And that was, you know, they they fell in love with that song. And Again, you want everything to happen overnight, but it doesn't, you know? And in that meeting when I was at HBO and played the music, they were like, I love Carry the Weight. We'd love to do something with that, like, next Pride. Like, what are you thinking? And I was like, I I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I'm so glad I could share it with you today. And, you know, I think it was a year later and they reached out and Carry the Weight then was like, used for HBO Pride. And that was a beautiful moment because it's Pride and it's my song. And that's such a huge journey for me. And it's so important to me. But it was like, again, you can't, you can't force that timeline to be like exactly the way you want it. It's just like, they mentioned interest in it. And then, and then it, it, it aligned at the exact right time for that song. At the time, did you celebrate it? Or were you kind of just in that momentum? Um, I mean, if we're being honest, I probably didn't because I was probably like, well, what's next? I think probably when that when that came out was about the time that I did do Lollapalooza. And Lollapalooza was a big deal. I had wanted to play that for so long because I went to school in Chicago. Like it was a dream of mine. And we mentioned this before this interview, but like that was a moment where everything shifted because, you know, Nick from Walk the Moon was also playing Lollapalooza. And we just, we had just recorded the song Blue that was going to come later, but not out yet. And it was like, well, let's, we can't do this song because it's not released. Why don't you hop up and sing home with me? That'll be fun. You're already there, you know? And that wasn't announced. So I showed up to play Lollapalooza and I was at like a perfect time. It was like 5 p.m. on a Saturday. So it was like not early and not late. And I like walk out on stage and there's like people all the way back, you know? And I was like, I had just been opening for a bunch of people on tour. And it was like, 
this was my time slot. And there were like actually people there wanting to see me play music was, was a huge breakthrough for me. Um, and then Nick came out and sang home and it was just like, you know, it felt like, you know, it felt like the heavens opened up and it was like, I don't know. It was just an, it was an iconic moment, but I also am like, did I celebrate that? Probably not. I probably was just like, cool. What's next? You know, it's hard. It's such a euphoric moment though, when you experience something like that, after all the hard years of work, all the knockbacks, all the people that said no to you, like it just must have felt amazing. I'm actually smiling, you reminiscing on this moment because I could just tell how much joy it brought to you. And I often say like the no's in people's careers are what make the yeses. Uh, You know, you often think like a dead end is a dead end but actually it's just a diversion and it always leads you to where you're you know you where you're meant to be so I really I really hope you did celebrate that moment and I'm so pleased that you know that you're trying actively to do that more I appreciate that I mean I think that's part of your the mission of this podcast and and I I was lost in the euphoria of it I mean I had a I had a photo on Rolling Stone and an interview posted on Rolling Rolling Stone. Like I do, uh, I'll never forget that moment that I truly cherished and, and appreciated. I think, you know, sort of the nature, uh, sort of the theme of this podcast and sort of just like tuning into my feelings right now. It's like, I was lost in the, in the absolute joy of that moment. And I maybe don't think about it enough when I'm feeling low. You know what I mean? Like maybe that's the truth is like, you know, and maybe that's the difference between me now and me back in New York when I'm crying on the street corner looking for an apartment. It's like, I should draw from some of these beautiful memories to be like, look how special that is. Because Lollapalooza specifically was a tough time. I was self-managed at that moment as well. And like, and when a friend like, who ran into me at Lollapalooza like a a couple years later or like a year later or a couple months, I don't know time, but he was like, I assumed, I assumed you had management because like it was, you were rolling around with an entourage. Like you, it was literally like from his point of view, I, I was just like, it was like, I had a crew, you know? And I was like, I was self-managed. My entourage is my mom and my grandma. Uh, (laughs) But they're really cool. I commend you, honestly, because it is so hard. I know from experience to self-manage these, even more so these days when you've got TikTok and Twitter and, you know, Instagram, Shmuel, like all these different platforms that you have to be on or you have to be, you know, like connecting with people. And it's so exhausting and it is literally constant. Not to mention the fact that, you have to write the music, perform the music. And on top of all that, with the social media stuff, you have to learn about contracts and deal with lawyers. And that is a whole new kind of world that you have to navigate. And I want to say this because I know that you won't say this about yourself, but I want to say this because I think it's important, not just for you to hear, but also for the listener. Every major moment in your career you did without management. Management helped bring certain opportunities into your life when they were in your life, but you got your publishing deal, your record deal, 
Lollapalooza, all these big things. You did it without management. And today, even with Wonder and all of the amazing things that are happening with Wonder, you're doing that without management. So anyone out there who's waiting for management to come and save them and give them the career they want, that's really not the end-all be-all. And it's not always how it works. People like Morgan are proof. Yeah. I I always think like there's that meme that's like, you know, you have just as many hours in the day as Beyonce, you know, and it's like, I, you know, I'm not I'm not even saying I'm Beyonce. I'm just like, OK, well, you know, I had a lot of people tell me, like, you're the artist. You can't ask these questions. And I think that that is not the way forward. You know what I mean? Like, I think the way forward is for artists to to lead with their vision. You know what I mean? Those are the artists that I love the most, you know, are those who lead with their vision. You know, I mean, I I would love a team supporting what I'm doing, but I'm also like not going to wait for somebody. I've, yeah. I've done that before. I've like waited for permission and waited for somebody to tell me you get to do this. And every time I have not forced or not rushed, but every time I have been like, no, this is my vision and this is what I'm going to see through. It's always led me somewhere beautiful. As much as it's probably quite frustrating at times not to have that team, that infrastructure around you to make your life a little bit easier so you can focus on, you know, like the songwriting and the performing and kind of remove the stress. It's also quite liberating I feel to be quite free to kind of be on your own timeline that's one of the things I personally loved is that I could go at my own pace I didn't have to wait for anybody yeah it's a balance it's also learning I'm still like feeling like I'm supposed to get permission then I'm like wait I need to honestly let that story go like if I'm feeling inspired to send something I'm going to send it there's a there's a real difference between like forcing something and allowing something. Yeah. I want to step back just for one more minute and ask you if you could relive one moment in your career again, which moment would it be? Well, honestly, I think I would relive Lollapalooza. Um, that makes sense. Because, yeah, I was self-managed and I was like there and I was, I, pl- I think I played three shows that day. Like I had like radio, I had my main stage set, and then I had an acoustic set. And it was like summer in Chicago, so it's super hot. So I had like multiple outfit changes. And they were like, they were custom looks, you know, and I was like, I was I had I was photographed in like best fashion, which like for the fat kid from Nashville, Tennessee, who was not fashionable to be like, to have to be photographed as best fashion, you know, like that that was huge. I think I screenshotted it and I was like, um, you know, it was just like for all the fat kids in middle school, like it gets better. The life that I had as a, as a middle school student and the bullying and the, and the scared to be oneself is super important for me as a empathetic adult. But like, that is not my reality now. You know, like I am... I I am allowed to be myself. I'm allowed to be bright. I'm allowed to be bold. I'm allowed to be alive, you know? And I feel like 
that's not said enough, especially for like queer struggling youth out there. I think you're going to inspire so many people listening to this podcast. You absolutely will. Even, you know, before this podcast and well after this podcast, you impact people in such a beautiful way. For anyone listening out there, your impact, it ripples out the way, you know, a drop of water in a lake does. It affects so many people. Don't ever think, any of you out there, that you can't have an impact in a huge way by one single act of kindness. That's something I've said also that I need to say like louder. You do not have to be an influencer to have influence. It's just the truth. That's the internet. You might have 200 followers, but those 200 followers are probably not following somebody else. Like, you know, followers is the wrong word. It's like my cousin who works in finance. He's like, you know, I only have 200 people on Instagram. And I'm like, well, I can bet you those 200 people from your finance world are a different cross-section of humanity than the people that are following me on Instagram. And you can speak up, you know, like you don't have to wait to be, have a blue check mark to like say something that matters to you. Absolutely. I'm going to leave you with my final question. And it is, what do you want your next breakthrough moment to be? Um, I mean, happening right now with TikTok is crazy because like my song was playlisted number three on the pop playlist on TikTok and I'm getting, you know, uh, you know, it went from like having 600 videos, which I'm told is a lot to it has like 3,600, you know, in like three days. And I, I would just love to see it like really connect with people. Like people use this song to soundtrack like we're all in such a crazy time and I would love to like have my song be a part of people like really wondering what we're going to do to get through this. That would be, that would be huge and special, especially as an independent artist. Well, I just want to manifest that every new breakthrough you have, whether it's a small breakthrough or a big one, that it's celebrated by you and everybody around you. And I really hope that the world gets to hear Wonder on the biggest scale possible. Yes. Morgan, you've been such an incredible guest. Thank you so much for being our first guest on the Breaking Through podcast. Thank yes, you. thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for having me. You can find Morgan on social media as Morgan Official, M-O-R-G-X-N Official. I was scared I was going to mess that up then. <laughs> and you can find us... Uh, on Instagram as breaking through underscore the podcast. And we're also on TikTok. So make sure you keep up with us because we've got a lot of behind the scenes antics and sneak peeks of future episodes. It's all very entertaining. I'd also like to say a big thank you to Mike Robinson, host of the amazing podcast Food on Tour, for sharing his podcast wisdom with me. He saved us many, many hours of research and heartache during this process. Huge thank you to Matt C. of Matt C. & Co. for his amazing graphic design work. If you need any graphics or branding, head over to mattc.co. That's M-A-T-T-S-E-E dot C-O. We'd also like to say a big thank you to Barnabas Shaw, who created our intro music. If you like what you hear, check him out on Instagram at B-A-R-N-A-B-A-S dot S-H-A-W. 
And lastly, I'd like to thank Fabio Campadelli, who gifted us some amazing plugins that have upped my production game tremendously. Join us next week on Breaking Through the Podcast. <laughs>